Spending the night in my car was not what I had in mind when I agreed to take this job. It was only supposed to be for two nights. Damn her, I thought. Blinking my eyes, I looked around and noticed it was still dark outside. I lit a smoke and cranked down the window, whistling some Dylan tune. Flicking the butt outside, I saw lights on in a window up the street. Hopping into the front, easing into the driver's seat, I cursed her for leaving me in the shithole of a town. Then I saw the note. It was lying on the dash. Her usual manila envelope with thick black scroll on the front. My name, which she liked to call me. Tony. I tore it open, thinking how much I loved and hated this woman. Tony, my love, get something to eat. Wait for my call. Love, Giselle. There was a $20 bill inside, crisp and pure like Giselle. I snatched the smokes and headed up the street to Bobby's. Nobody stared at me when I strolled into the diner. A good sign. I could really use a drink, I thought. There were five people that I could see, not counting who might be in the kitchen or getting their jollies in the john. Two men in the back booth, an old man at the counter, and a girl in her teens overdone in makeup. She looked new. You could tell by the way she sat all hunched over, looking cold. She held her cigarette as if she were posing for a picture. I had to laugh. That was me three years ago. I felt sorry for her. When I turned my gaze from the girl behind the counter stood Bobby. God, how I had missed her. She smiled. I headed for the bathroom. Jesus, I needed a bath. I took off my coat, gave my face a quick rinse, and stared straight ahead. For the first time in my life, I was scared. There's nothing scarier than staring into your own eyes. When I came out, Bobby already had my coffee ready, black as usual, and a plate of toast. I pushed the plate away and sipped the coffee. The elderly man mumbled to God, egg yolk dripped down his stubbly chin. I turned away, focusing on the two men. This is how bad it's gotten. Two men in a diner, a $20 bill, and a half pack of smokes. So this is where it ends. I couldn't even drink my coffee, thinking of the grimy hands that would soon be groping my breasts. Bobby nodded. It was time. I choked down the cup and took a shot from the pint in my coat. Nothing like old Jack to give you a hug when you need it. I sat down next to the blonde one and whispered, Hi, I'm Tony. Giselle sent me. They both grinned and the mulatto slid in next to me. Bobby quickly pulled down the shades. I wanted to scream. The white guy rubbed my thigh and I closed my eyes. I thought of Giselle. I always thought of Giselle. And at this moment, it was her lips upon mine, her hands on my body, and my eyes searching for her once again in the darkness of Bobby's Diner. This is Susan Marie, and you are listening to This Is Not the Apple. And I have here with me tonight a very special guest. Uh, it is Susan Marie. Susan, how are you this evening? I'm good. Um, what were you just reading? Oh, that was, uh, that was a short story I wrote. I don't know. I, I wrote it. That's the first part of it. I'd like to read. I'd like to end with, like, the end of it. But that's the first part of it. It's called Jack. And, you know, I was just kind of messing around with, you know, I wouldn't call it fiction. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just kind of like those little images, you know, you have in your mind sometimes. And you just got to kind of write them down. Um, but I thought you wrote poetry. Well, you know, I do. I don't know. I just write. Um, Susan, yeah, but you have a radio show. I mean, like, how did that all begin? Well, that's a long story. Um, 
okay, let me think. I think it was like two years ago or so. If um, if you've ever gone to Urban Epiphany, it's it's Western New York's largest poetry uh, gathering, and it's run by Celia White, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. And I happened to go one year, and um, you know, I'd never really you know read out a lot or anything, and. Uh, you know, so, you know, I'm watching everybody gathering there, and I see somebody recording, you know, everything. I thought it was really neat, you know, that they were recording poetry. I had never seen that before. So, you know, after the guy read and everything, I went up to him, and I introduced myself, and it was Rob Nesbitt, and I asked, what are you doing? And he explained Think Twice Radio to me. I thought that was really neat, and he was taking pictures, too, because, like, I had never really seen anybody paying attention to poetry, so, like, I thought that was really cool, you know? So, um, I don't know, maybe it was, like, I don't even remember, uh, maybe a couple weeks later or something and then i get an email from richard wicca and he's asking me if i would like to have my own radio show and i was like yeah i mean who wouldn't you know <laughs> and it was really great and so i don't know that's how it all that's how it all kind of started so it's like a little over two years ago um susan so out of all the interviews that you've done what what's your do you have like a like a favorite one you know out of all of them i know that's a, kind of a hard question you know because you know but do you have a favorite one um, that is a tough one. That's a tough one because I love all my interviews. You know, they're they're all really special to me because they're all they're all very unique. You know, um, like if I if I'm sitting there talking to a person, you know, it's it's really just about that moment. But I'd have to say definitely Jackdaw by far. Um, that was my first interview in studio, and it's it, it was just hysterical. I mean, you you have to go check it out. It's it's my very first in studio interview, and it's probably over two years old and. Um, yeah, that's definitely my favorite. Definitely, definitely. Um, I have a question. If, if you had to describe yourself, you know, you know, how would you do that? Well, that's a ridiculous question. I'm not answering that. Why? I mean, seriously, no, think about it. Who wants to describe themselves? I don't. I don't even, I don't even fully know me. Okay. Uh, well, recently, you know, you began your own business. Do you want to talk about that? Mm, not really. No, 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 no. Um, no, I don't want to talk about business. Um, but you know, people, they can go check out my website. You know, everything's, everything's online. You know, it's my name, you know, susanmarie.info. You can, you can go there and, and everything's there, you know. Um, okay. Well, you, you have a passion with like music and, and albums and I, I guess like art like I, I see all of these things that you know you involve yourself in and you know I, I guess I guess I'm just wondering you know where that began well you know I think you know with all of us we have our own you know we have our own things that you know we love you know whatever it may be but I have to say it started when um well, when I was younger albums album art you know my sisters thank God for my older sisters uh, I remember being young and just opening up their albums. You know, James Taylor Hendricks, The Doors, The Police, Janice, Blondie. Um, you can go back to, you know, Patsy Cline, Billie Holiday, The Beatles. Gosh, I mean, music literally has saved me from going insane in this world many times. You know, this is kind of the same with books, you know. Um, you know, I don't know. So I, I just, you know, I... I guess it's something, you know, inside of me, you know, and, and albums was just the first, you know, art form that I fell into, you know, and then after that, you know, I started messing around with writing, you know, when I was like, you know, I don't know, 13 or so, and I don't know, and, and then I started painting. You're a paint, you paint? 
Well, yeah, well, you know, we all do like, you know, 10 things, you know. So I started painting and, you know, it all just, it goes from there. You know, I always believe like someone will say they're not creative, but, you know, that's bullshit. You know, you, you gardening is creative. Um, you know, your, your work is creative. What you do for a living is creative. I, I guess a lot of times we don't realize that we put a lot of creativity even into, you know, what we do for a living. Um, well, Susan, w would you like to read something else? Uh, can we play a song? Um, you, you write songs? Um, no, I just, I, I don't know, I just want to play a song. Can we play a song? Um, why don't you just read? Why don't you just read something? Oh, okay, fine. Um, let me see what I, okay, here, I got this piece here. This is, oh, this is pretty cool, actually. Okay, this is, um, and I want to mention, like, this writing, some of the stuff I'm reading is, like, really old. It's, it's well over five years old, I'd have to say, so... This, this is called 2 a.m., and it was inspired by my friend Tori because he said something to me about writing. He said, talent can take you places, but it's skill that keeps you there. And, and that always resonated with me. So this is just, it's called 2 a.m. because, you know, I was writing. Eyes burning, mottled veins, massive sleep deprivation, caffeine OD. Words, words mocking me. Read aloud. Thought, type, backspace, delete, retype. Fuck. Where's that arrow? Type again. Fix beat. Bitch, bury my fucking head in the sand and sink. I had a stroke of genius. It happens. And I thought about waking the doc up at 2 a.m. Tell him I have that dry eye syndrome I saw on TV and I need a script. The combo goes like this. Hey, doc, it's me. I have that uh, dry eye syndrome. Yes. Yeah, my eyes hurt. No, no, I have not been drinking coffee. What? I don't owe you money. Look, can you just call in a script? Yeah, yeah, for that. Okay, and uh, while you're at it, can you pick me up a pack of smokes on your way to the OR? Life should be that comical. I wouldn't mind the side effects anyhow. Heart palpitations, kidney disease, possible stroke, urinary retention, migraines, constipation, stomach pain, blurred vision. That's an oxymoron. Short-term memory loss, confusion, dementia, risk of diabetic coma, and eventually death. I can risk that for a dry eye or two. I sat in the mall today. I despise the mall, but I was forced to go there. It was the only place this one store was, and I felt my heart beat fast, chest pain, onset of perpetual migraine, so I grabbed a cappuccino. Walking, walking, thinking if one more motherfucker nudges into me, that's it. I'm tearing into the fifth tour store I pass and grabbing me some lethal child's toy. One by one, I would take them out, like a nut job in a bell tower, sit in the middle of this excuse for a living room where we can socialize and hide behind a plastic palm tree, wait for a bratty piss pot to come running by, stick my foot out and watch the parents half-heartedly console the spoiled replica of themselves they spawned. If there is a hell, I live in it, so please don't even think of telling me I am going there. I figured I should probably eat. My legs hurt. Wandering around, wondering what the fuck I was doing in this place and how much I would rather be in a bookstore or a cafe or at home watching Tony Montana shove his face into a pile of snow. Instead, I took a seat in the garden cafe and looked around. I felt I was the only one without pennies on my eyes. Little girls with G-strings poking out their low-cut bootlegs, sad excuse for a wannabe somebody they never will be, showing off to boys who only want to get in their pants as if that would be a difficult task. P 
pierced everything up and down, brows, lips, backs of necks, and kids, kids, kid with cell phones, iPods, portable DVD players, and I thought I was cool when I had the bionic woman and her arm opened up and you saw wires and shit in there. I saw a woman sitting alone. She had a laptop in the booth. I thought, man, you should be at a cafe. What the fuck are you doing in a mall? I felt like walking up to her, handing over the book of tattered poetry I had, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I didn't. The mall is denial from the misery felt by those who still think that the world is flat. But there was an angel there today. It was just a man. Olive-skinned, radiating supernova, swirling like sunspots by the mouthful, and I gobbled them up the spots. Like Spider-Man, Spider-Mike and Spun, bare-chested, hand in his pants, fucking meth-freak supersonic street meat, eclipsing the world in its entirety over nothing but the next fix. I watched the angel there smiling, brown leather sandals, a nylon cord sneaking inside his shirt, and I wondered what was on the end of it. Curls of sardonic silk reflected light shining from his retina, cerulean, and I looked around, and I felt like screaming, am I the only one seeing this shit? Nobody stirred, kept right on stuffing their faces with eventual heart attacks, talking, fake smiles, lipstick stained teeth, grinning skeletons already dead to themselves. But this man sat on a hill, and I was a child, my chin upturned listening as he told stories. He was cotton-robed, his raiment, a burlap bag. The whole scene transparent, lucid dreams and waves, sketches of memories past. He was one word, imagine. Compelled to talk to him, every bit of strength I had, which wasn't much, trust me, kept me from doing just that. It pisses me off now. I saw him there and knew it. He looked right into my eyes and said, shh. I heard that inside my skull. Then he continued talking to the ghost seated next to him. The cursor blinked. Maybe it wasn't my eyes after all. An hour had passed and I had not written a single thing. I stared though at this. There are plenty of talented nobodies in the world who are too lazy to do jack shit with their lives. I held my palms to my cheeks, cracked my knuckles, put on some tunes, and began to type. Oh, wow. I really like that piece. I, there was a part, though, Susan, I have to ask you, there was a part in there where you were talking about Spider Mike. I don't get... Oh, okay, uh, the movie Spun. Have you ever seen this? Okay, you've you got to see this movie. It's a great movie. Um, Spider Mike. Okay, Spider Mike, he's a, he's, a, he's a math freak, and it's a really good movie. If you get a chance, check out Spun. Um, what I was talking about was... Okay, I, I totally know what you mean. What I was talking about was that, um, well, while I was sitting there, I'm talking about, like, seeing that angelic guy, you know, and um, the supernova swirling around. Um, I was gobbling them up by the mouthful, the spots, and I say, like, Spider Mike and Spun, bare-chested, hand in his pants, fucking meth freak, supersonic. It's just kind of like, you know, a, a description about, like, if you see, you got to see the movie, but if you ever see somebody who's, you know, on meth, you know, then you'll know that's how I felt, like, gobbling up this man's, like, auras and his energy, you know, like a meth freak. So that's kind of, is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly what I meant. That's the only part I, I never saw that movie. Oh, you definitely got to check it out. That's a, I, that's a really good movie. I, I, I adore movies. You definitely got to check that out. Um, Susan, before the interview, we were speaking about philosophy and perception, and you mentioned about how people ask you a lot about the name of your radio show. Did you want to explain that? Uh, okay, all right. Um, 
This is, it will be kind of long. Is that all right? It's going to be kind of long. Okay. All right. The name of my radio show is, is This Is Not The Apple. And I know it sounds confusing to a lot of people. And, you know, it's, you could, you could think of whatever you want to think about it. But, like, when it first began, um, I had the Buffalo Writers Group, and we were going to start, you know, a literary magazine. And we went back and forth with all kinds of names and everything. And we got really, we got quite far. I'm very proud of us, actually, because, uh, we got we got very far all the way to the arts council, you know, and uh, you know we we did good. It's just it's not an easy thing to put a lit mag together, but you know we did good. I'm proud of us. But anyhow, so this was in the stages of that, you know, with the board and everything, and we were trying to come up with a name, and uh, we were playing around with you know art and, and philosophy and, and the beginning of things, and we wanted this to be something new, and uh, we came up with the name. This is not the apple. And we had an idea to, you know, take the magazine cover, the first one, and put, like, a, your, your regular, you know, uh, Apple on there. Because it's kind of like the beginning of things. And, it's, well, it's, it's all perception. It's pretty much what it is. This is not the Apple. This is the Apple. And then I came up with, you know, Kafka. If You have to read one of his books on the, I'll pronounce it wrong, the Zaru aphorisms. It's an excellent, excellent book, a bunch of little quotes, but he has a quote in there. Kafka says about um, how the different views you see of an apple, like it says like uh, the apple sitting in the palm of the master of the house and then view the apple uh, sitting on the table from the view of the child watching the apple and then you think of, of the view of the guest of the house looking at the apple so it's like three different perceptions of a simple apple see so you know I really like that quote so we pushed that in here we came up with this is not the apple so like my idea was that I had this radio show so I said it's really cool to go along with the lit mag you know we were gonna do the lit mag and we could get people on the show you know it's always cool so I'm like and I t was totally you know cool with the with the title because of uh, Magritte, if you ever seen that, and I'll probably pronounce that wrong, some of his artwork, um, things like that, all different, I mean, everything, Adam and Eve, the Beatles, I mean, we put all music, all kinds of craziness goes into an apple. So basically, the basic thing is perception. It's all about perception, you know, however you want to perceive it. So I kept that uh, as the name of my radio show because I really didn't, um, you know, I really didn't know what it was going to be about, you know, and and I'm glad that I did because that's pretty much what I'm striving for is just perception. That's all it is, you know. Take from it what you get, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's really up to you. And even when, like, I'm interviewing somebody, uh, you know, I'll sit here and it's, it's all about perception. I mean, really, um, you know, and uh, so I don't know, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, did, did that answer your question? Oh, no. Yeah, no, that really, really answered my question. Um, no, no, it's really good. Um, I don't know. I was going to, I, w well, I was going to ask you, did you want to read something? No, I don't, I don't feel like reading. Can we just talk? No, yeah, 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 no, we could, we could talk. We could talk. Um, well, no, the only reason I say this, you know, Susan Marie, the only reason I say this, I wouldn't, I don't want to read right now is seriously, I don't enjoy speaking, I mean, or like being on TV or being interviewed at all, even though I do it all the time, you know, it's different when you're on the other side of the microphone. It's not about me when I interview, so I totally focus on the person, you know, and like their energy, you know, and so like when, like right now what you're doing, you're interviewing me and I'm so not used to being interviewed, so it's, you know, 
even though I, I can talk and talk and talk, I really, I don't like being in the spot. I don't enjoy, like, I don't enjoy public speaking and things like that. Although people will sit there and be like, oh, you're, you're natural. You can do this. No, it's like, ask anybody I know before I have to read, you know, I'm like sick to my stomach, even before this interview, sick to my stomach. You know, once I'm talking, I'm fine, but you know, it's kind of funny because you look at everything that I do, you know, I do radio and everything. So it, it doesn't mean that like any of us, you know, don't get nervous about things that we do. And I guess, you know, I don't know. So that's why I just, I just wasn't in the mood to read something again. I'd rather, I just enjoy talking to you. You're enjoying talking to me? Well, yeah. I mean, you asked me to come on your show. You know, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, thank you. No, I, I really like doing this. And um, so... Um, there's one question, Sue, that I want to, I want to ask you, um, if you had the chance to interview anyone in the world, who would that be? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. Mary Magdalene. Mar what? Mary Magdalene? Why Mary? Mary Magdalene? Well, yeah, I mean, think about it, you know, because like she out of anyone would have the answers, don't you think? You know, the answers everybody's looking for. Well, yes, but I mean, well, no, think about it. She was there. I mean, she saw everything, you know, you know, regardless of what is what, you know, Mary Magdalene, you know, she, she knows what is up. I mean, come on now. No, you know, would she tell me everything? I, I doubt it, but you know, that'd be pretty cool. That's yeah, I would definitely Mary Magdalene. Well, I, I asked you that because, you know, I see you wear you know, her medallion around your neck. Why, why do you wear that? Well, you know, she was a, a, a woman wrongly judged, you know, rather judged, you know. So, you know, I don't know. That's why I wear it. Um, besides Mary, who else would you like to interview? Well, oh, most of the people are dead, so I would need a really good medium. Um, <laughs> you know, really, I mean, like Jack Kerouac, okay, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jackie Kennedy, Martin Malcolm, JFK, the prophet Isaiah, um, Jesus, Buddha, Mother Teresa, Padre Pio, Lady Di, John Lennon, Alexander the Great's horse, Bucephalus, that would be awesome, um, and Red Jacket. You know, you know, over on Buffum Street, you know, that they should have never moved Red Jacket and Mary Jemison. That pisses me off. That, uh, anyhow, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. John Edward, he would be amazing to interview, you know. I, I tried to interview him, you know, they actually, they answered me back, but you know, he was busy with his tour, but yeah, that'd be cool. John Edward would be really cool. Wait, 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 back, back up. Sue, so you said, what was that? You were about Red Jacket? Oh, you don't know, you don't know about Red Jacket over there, um, Sagayawatha? Um, all right, this is really neat. Over on Buffum Street in, uh, in South Buffalo off of Seneca Street, that is, it's the actual burial ground of Red Jacket and, and a lot of fallen Native Americans. And if you go down there, down Buffum Street, you'll see the Indian Academy. And um, well, I don't know a lot of people that live around there. They're, they get all freaked out about it and everything. But it's actually it's actual you know Native American burial ground. But it's like wide open. Like people live all around it, and you can still kind of see like the humps and stuff in the hills and everything. Oh my God! No, no, it's not anything freaky. No, really, it's 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 interesting. Well, the sad thing why it pisses me off is that you know uh, 
well, when I walked on it, it was really neat because it's kind of like its own, it exists within itself, okay? I'm gonna say like when I walked in there, I felt like I was someplace else and like uh, I couldn't hear anything that was like going on with the city, you know, like car horns and kids and stuff and it's pretty much in the middle of the city. And you walk up these, you know, stone stairs and they have, you know, the grave markers and stuff there and it, it tells you the story of that, you know, this is where Red Jacket had fallen with Mary Jamison, who was, you know, his white woman, you know, that was his love. And and all his, you know, you know, his, um, you know, everybody that fought with him, you know, all Native Americans. And his one wish was to just leave him where he was, you know, where he'd fallen. And, and you know, what what did they do? They, they dug him up and put him in, you know, forest lawn. You know, I that that's what where I went. That's what pissed me off, you know. She just left him there. There's other Native Americans there, but, you know, you take him out. So it's like, you think it, like, people, we do things and we don't realize, you know, really how messed up they are. Um, you know, if there's a good book, I forgot the name of it, but it tells you about a lot of the history of, of uh, you know, Buffalo, Western New York, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, well, Sue, I, I see that you, you seem to like history. Um, you like history a lot. And, well, you know, check this out. I didn't mean to interrupt. Listen, this is a really cool thing. If you ever get a chance to do a tour of City Hall, this is amazing, okay? Because I had done a lot of research and reading. So when I went to do a tour of City Hall, I knew like a lot of backstory on it. And, and the guide could not answer my questions. It, it was hysterical. Well, like what? Well, okay, for instance, there are things you really wouldn't take notice of, okay? But when you go up to City Hall, there's like this Druid-like artwork you know, that's on the outside. You know, I asked him what was that all about, and you know, he doesn't know. He can't answer. He's not worried. He's not telling me. Um, that old huge obelisk right there in Niagara Square. I mean, when you look at things, that's like a huge energy center. Okay, what's that doing there? Really, think about it. And you know, when you go in, there are seven, seven doorways to seven stairwells, and there's a big stained glass Native American sun. Uh, rise with seven rays coming out. See all the seven, seven, sevens to combat the 13. There's a whole story behind it. It's really cool, but you should really do it. And so I did all this reading about it. And did you know they used to have public hangings there right in front of City Hall? And, and you know, people that worked there, you know, they've experienced, you know, well, what did they experience? Well, I can't say personally because I've never heard it, but, you know, they say they could hear, you know, the cries and the screams from the crowds and stuff. You know, you know, I mean, it happened everywhere, but you think right here at City Hall, so we had public hangings, you know, there, so it's kind of messed up. But, um, well, alrighty, um, can you name anyone who's living that you would like to interview? Oh, sure, gosh. Oh, my God, that's easy. Um, well... The 14th and only the 14th Dalai Lama, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Colin Powell, Johnny Depp. Why Anthony Kiedis? Read his book, Scar Tissue, then you will know why. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a great book. It really is. I'm not kidding you. And listen close to the lyrics of Under the Bridge. Listen close to the lyrics at the end. That's why I want to interview Anthony Kiedis. He's, he's a poet. He's a, he's a poet. Susan, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I notice during this interview, and I hope you don't take offense, but you can be quite evasive sometimes. And, but I notice that you're, you're kind of outgoing when you're interviewing others. Well, you know, like I said before, you know, 
right now is about me and I enjoy putting people in the spotlight. You know, I despise being put in it myself. How can you say that? I mean, I think just about everyone knows your email address by now. Come on. Well, I love technology. What can I say? I'm an IT talk. I mean, I, I joke that when I die, I'm going to get my email address as a grave marker so people can find me. You seem to be preoccupied with death and dead people, Susan. <sighs> no, not really. I mean, death is like anything else you know. It's nothing gruesome or scary. I don't know. I mean, I once I once wrote about how death is anything pleasant for the living, and that's true. You know, it's just another phase. I mean, if you want to talk about being gruesome, wakes and funerals are pretty gruesome things when you think about it. I mean, that is not for the dead person. That's so living people can have closure. So, all right, so with all this planning and events you do, who's going to plan your funeral and wake? Oh, I already have that planned out, trust me, all the way down to the grave marker and the band. But the headstone... Although I wish to be cremated, that's a whole nother story. Um, it, my headstone has to serve a purpose, so you know I told my mother. I said I want a huge angel with her wings spread far and each arm bent out on an angle to her sides. You know, and holding beautiful carved bowls, you know, in her hands. And one will be a bird feeder and the other one will be a bird bath. See, and she thinks I'm crazy. Are you crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? What kind of question is that to ask an interviewer? It's a valid one. Well, sometimes you, you appear kind of kooky, Sue. Exactly. But that's your perception. See, it's all about perception. I mean, if I think I'm crazy, then I am. And if I think I am sane, then I am. It doesn't matter. If I'm walking down the street with an umbrella in the snow with shorts on in December eating pizza, but you may perceive me as crazy because that's what you see. You know, however, I may think what I am doing is perfectly sane. So you are saying that Wait, let me get this straight. You are saying that really crazy people that murder and kill and do obscene things are sane. No, first of all, there's a good crazy and a crazy crazy. I mean, the good crazy is kooky crazy. And the really crazy is like psych ward, medication time, Joan Crawford kind of crazy, okay? But when you think about it, people like Manson and Hitler, I mean, they were like brilliant. They just chose to take that brilliance and, and use it in a negative manner. How can you say that, Susan Marie? My God, they were awful people. Now, come on, that's not the point, though. I mean, the point is no matter what they did, think about it. I mean, if they use that energy and brilliance towards something positive, they would be honored today, but they chose different. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not brilliant. They are. They just did really awful things. I mean, we don't go around saying, like, Gandhi was not brilliant, do we? No, because he did positive things, see? You know, I just, I don't know. I, I think that we focus, you know, too much on the negative. Oh, goodness. Uh, Susan, can you, you know, will you, do you want to read something? Um, yeah, all right, okay, I'll read something. Actually, this is kind of funny. This is kind of funny. This is, um, this is called uh, Conversations with a Cerebral Cortex. I happen to be surfing the web when I should be writing, writing. Instead, I find myself flipping through playlists, stopping at System of a Down, Nine Inch Nails, and Rage Against the Machine. All of it was just written for me. And various oddities I have collected here and there like a fucking mortician cashing in on the Black Plague. Tiring of this, I drool over a panoramic flat screen I shall never own. I obviously adore torturing myself. Clicking a bit too fast, I stumble upon a site about brain basics, thinking, now this looks interesting, right? I used to work in the medical field, a urology nurse. 
insert sardonic grin, and began to read about disorders of the brain. Now, I've read the DSM-4, so none of this is much of a shock, and yes, I am that anal. I have actually read it, the, you know, the same with the PDR. But this site stated that the cerebrum is responsible for sports, muscular activity, math, video games, and drawing. Okay, now I can draw and I'm good at video games, so what the fuck? Oh, there are two halves. Okay, then that makes a little more sense to me. Now, let's see. The right half is abstract. Music, color, shapes. Yes, me. Give me a child puzzle. Put me in a playpen. Play me some concertos and I am good to go. And the left half is analytical. Math, logic, and speech. Well, I'm from New York, so let's just toss the speech right out the motherfucking window, okay? <laughs> now I get to the part that seriously disturbs me. The right half of the cerebrum controls the left side of your body, and the left half controls the right side. Eyebrows instantly raise. If one side controls the other, and one side controls the other, then am I correct in stating that the entire function of the cerebrum is a blatant oxymoron? Let's say you have one side of the brain saying, I want a color, and the other saying, I want to solve an equation that nobody really uses, but we all have to know it in order to get through college. What happens? An argument ensues. Of course it does. How typical. Oh, it's a nasty one, too. The right side is totally fucking pissed because all it wants is its frigging crayons, and the left side wants to be all serious and shit, causing nosebleeds and migraines. Crayons get poked in innocent eyeballs. Numbers start flying around, making no mathematical sense whatsoever. And before you know it, one fist is clenched and the other is balling up. Before you can even say, I need meds, your left hand comes out of left field and lays a beamer on your right temporal lobe. The temporal lobe starts bitching, shut the fuck up, can't you see I already have constant pain? All hell breaks loose. Arms are flailing, eyes crossed, legs become numb, saying fuck this noise and back right out of that argument. Great, now you are stuck in a fucking chair beating the shit out of yourself for no good reason other than some fucking scientist discovered that one side of the brain controls the other side, and if this is an actual true statement, then please explain to me why I am unable to use my left hand for anything useful and am right-handed. Does that mean my right side of the brain is selfish? Does it despise the left side because it is more intelligent? Is the left side more relaxed, artsy, bohemian, doesn't give a shit? Does the left side sneak out at night having brandy with Einstein while the right side slips online shopping for super padded headphones you cannot find anymore like when you were a kid? Of course not. They control each other. How is this possible? The seven-day theory of the creation of the world makes more sense to me at this moment. Snap, thunder, lightning, world. So I ask myself, reaching for band-aids and tissues to wipe up the mess I have made of myself, how can this be? One side must work independent of the other in order for each side to function. Or is it correct in stating that the right side controls the left side and the left side controls the right side? Well, if this is a true statement, then how in the fuck does anything get done when one side likes to do this and one side likes to do that? I believe that's why I write. I use both hands, both parts of my brain, my legs are crossed in disagreement, and both parts of my brain seem to agree and are equally twisted in their own ideal of what is right and wrong. With that being said, does that then make me a scientist? <clears throat> That was interesting. You have to, I'm going to have to sit back and listen to a lot of what, what possessed you to write that? 
Well, you know, I mean, you know, it's figure it's like the middle of the night and you're like tired and you're looking on the internet and you find an article and then boom, something. You know, I just kind of look at the weird side of life. You know what I mean? I took, what I did is I took, I actually took a, a theory. It was um, disorders of the brain and brain basics. And I started reading about it. It really didn't make any sense to me. I mean, think about it really. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, when you're saying the right half of the cerebrum controls the left side of your body and the left half controls the right side, that's really, that kind of makes no sense. But scientifically, that's what is stated, okay? So I started writing about it kind of like, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a, a realistic way because it's really how we think, you know? I mean, so I don't I just kind of make it real, you know, take, try to take the science out of it, you know, and, um, I remember I was writing this and um, somebody that, oh my God, who was it? They studied, they had like a PhD in, in, in brain disorders and they, they thought it was, you know, they thought it was pretty funny. But, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, the, just kind of like a goofy little thing I wrote. But, you know, I don't know. My brain is scary. It just keeps, you know, going. Um, well, Susan, I have, I have a question for you. Like, uh... Where do you see yourself in, in five years? What kind of question is that? I have no idea. I mean, it's kind of, come on. I mean, I live for now, you know, right now. Here with you talking. That's important to me. Um, not ten minutes from now or tomorrow or even next week, but now. You know, I have no idea where I will be. I, I don't think or look that far. I can't. I don't wish to. You know, I just, you know, I just keep going. Um... Wouldn't you kind of call that blind faith? No, no, I, I'm I'm far from blind. My 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 faith is strong. Um, I just like to live for the moment. You know, it's less stressful, and you know, it brings me peace. Um, speaking of peace, you know, I wanted to talk to you about like. You seem like you have like this whole hippie mentality, you know, about you. Well, you know, um. I just feel very connected to those times, you know. It was a time of change. Uh, I'm not saying it was pleasant, you know, but people wish change, you know. They were, they were beaten and arrested, you know, for what they believed in. They had courage. You know, these are people of courage. I'm not just saying this time, but many times in history, you know. Um, but when you look back, you know, like at like the 60s and even in, into the 70s, you know, they fought and used their voices in all manners for their causes, you know. They believed in... They believed in what they were standing up for, and, and, you know, no matter the outcome, you know, now that's faith, right? That's faith in self, you know what I'm saying? You know, to do what we are, are meant to do on this plane. Um, you know, and I think uh, a lot of times, you know, we get caught up, you know, and it's easy. There's, uh, there's so much going on in the world. It's... Um, it's interesting that you brought up that thing about peace, because it's not really, like... I always thought it was like I felt I belonged to those times. And this is kind of interesting that you bring that up because I was, I interviewed Raymond Zarek and he touched on that. He made a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I listened to that. That I lit. Well, um, you know, I was in, I was interviewing Ray and um, he he said to me that those times are always there, but can we access them? And I thought about that, and it's true. It's like, I think we spend too much time, you know, as a people looking past or too forward instead of, like, right here. You know, we're, we're here, we're in the present. Um, 
so you know it's um it's important to me to just be grateful um as much as i can and uh you know nobody's perfect you know but to to be grateful for everything that's around me and i see once that you start like you know refocusing um well, Susan, can I ask you, since you said refocusing, what do you mean by refocus? You know, how do you, how do you refocus? Well, you know, if you look at, you know, any, okay, if you look at any, I'm going to say sort of belief system, when you look at anything like that, it's, it's there. It's written there somewhere. And the basics is just, you know, calmness, peace of mind, meditation. Okay, now, it's a lot easier said than done, just like anything, you have to apply it. And sometimes... You may be there, and then you might flip out of that stage, you know, and you get back in it. Um, you may have people in your life that awaken that part of you. You may have people in your life that deaden that part of you. It's all, you know, growing. But I find once you get past that, th this hump, I'm still working. We're all working. That's what we're, we're all working towards. Progression, you know, I like this word. Can I, I, I got to tell this, is that all right? Oh, no, 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 that, go ahead, go ahead. This is interesting. My friend Nick, okay, he, he lives in Australia. This is interesting because... Um, he said, we're all progressing, and I really like that. I like progressing because we are, and it, it's hard because, you know, it's hard the way we're brought up, you know, societal to, to judge people and, you know, the negativity and society in general is like that. We're around it all the time. Our kids are around it. It's at our jobs. It's in front of our face when we come home. It's on the Internet. It's on the radio. It's in everything we do. It's in the paper. It's on the news. You know, I mean, it's really hard to avoid. So, like, it's almost we're constantly being fed these things. So... It's almost, you know, I don't want to call it, like, brainwashing, but, like, when you look at kids, okay, you look at little kids, you spend some time, you know, when I start feeling freaky, you know, about the world or, like, not like myself, I, I go spend my time with my son, you know, around kids because that's, like, a total grounder, you know, and I think we lose something, you know, when we grow up. What, wait, what do you mean when we grow up? What do you mean we lose something? Well, when you see, like, the wonderment of a child, you know, like, um, so for somebody once, they told me that I was guileless but not naive, right? And I didn't understand it for a long time, but I do now because, like, it's that childlike wonder that, you know, the excitement and the little kid, you know, inside of you, you know, you should never kill that part off. And, I mean, I think sometimes it's just, you know, it's difficult in, in today's society, so... Wait a minute, get back. I got to, I'm, see, I'm rambling. You asked me, I asked you about refocusing. Oh, 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 okay. Um, so, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, we all go through, you know, trials and instances and, uh, I, no, there was an instant, okay. Um, last year after meeting um, Tibetan monks, okay, from Tibet and China at Unity Church, this was amazing. That was the start of a huge progression for me, and it, it made me realize, I didn't realize at the time, I thought I realized, so you think you realize, this is like a whole year later, after this winter, that I, I don't know what to call the winter we just went through, but after this winter, I went through some massive progressions, and, um, you know, instead of focusing on the negative, I started focusing on positive, and once you start thinking that, it's refocusing your thought, okay? Once you're able to jump over that hurdle of refocusing your thought, then to me, that's when enlightenment, you know, truly begins, and it's all on different levels for everybody, you know? And I think that's why, like, when we meet people, and we're all, like, on different levels, you know, hopping around, it's because it's our progressions. It depends on where you are, 
you know, and you're blessed if you you meet someone who's like-minded, you know, and, and they recognize you. You know, that's a beautiful thing. And I'm going rambling again. And no, 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 don't, no, I'm listening. It's just wonderful, you know. So, you know, I mean, in that, so, you know, I went to see the monks again this year. It was very interesting because it was a different, again, perspective. You know, uh, I understood what he had told me last year. He told me, Tenzin told me I was like a happy little monkey, right? And I thought he meant because I was busy. And that's not what he meant at all. I understand. Now he meant my thoughts were like a happy little monkey going from tree to tree to tree limb. But I didn't understand it last year. I thought I did. I understand it this year. And that's what I mean by progression. But we all do it, you know? We all do it. You can see it in your writing, uh, painting, in your artwork, in, your, every, in everything you do, you see changes. I mean, if you don't, if we're not like evolving and, and, and growing, you know, then you got to start to question you know, what's in your life that's, you know, holding you back. It could be yourself. It could be anything, really, you know. But it's refocusing of thought. Once, if you, put it this way, if you have it up here, okay, if you really have it up here, your mind, you'll be okay. You, you, can, you can pretty much get over anything. But once you start losing it up here, even, you know, tweak just a little bit, you know, that's when we start, you know, getting freaked out and all kinds of things, you know, complaining to our lives and you see illnesses and, and whatnot. And, I mean, if you keep it straight up in your head, uh, like it says, well, sim very simple, mind over matter. That's pretty much it. I mean, we look at real simple things, you know. Oh, you know, well, you know, I never I never thought of it like that. Um, that was interesting. Um, have you ever studied, you know, anything really no, see, and here's here's an example that, like, you're giving me because this is what we do, you know, and there's a lot of things that I put off for whatever reason, you, know, you get busy or whatever, you know, and I put it off. Um, there's a lot of things I want to study that I should be studying and be involved in, you know, and I will, you know, it's just, again, you know, I'm human, you know, I'm not perfect, so I, uh... There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot out there. I don't know. I look at the world as, as just, you know, it's wide open. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, we all have the same tools. And it's what we do with those tools, you know. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you, Sue. Um, I agree with you 100% there. Um, well, yeah, because, like, for an example, you know, like, um you know like say you know you, here's a really silly example but say you gave me like ten thousand dollars right and i could stuff it under my mattress and it'll stay there and then i die right well, what's the purpose of that or you you know you give me ten thousand dollars and i could put it here 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 and there and help you know all these people or i could put it over here and build something or see that's it's that simple and it's i take it down real simple i mean really i mean like my rock bottom thank god is not far and I'm real grateful for that it's not far like I am serious I'll wake up and I'm grateful like for the fact that I can walk you know because things and listen no I'm serious check it out things will be brought in front of you I'm serious like um I remember one day I was like real crabby I had to go to the dentist and you know I despise going to the dentist and you know I'm all miserable and saying oh I gotta go to the dentist and blah, 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 I have all this work done and I'm you know that's really you know retarded to you know so anyhow, and I'm sitting there, and I look around me, and um, 
there were several kids who, and this I don't like either, that like society dubs people disabled or mentally disabled or, you know, whatnot. This, I see it different. I was sitting there and I saw these, these young kids that were there for dentist visit and they were in wheelchairs and they couldn't walk, they couldn't talk, nothing. So, you know, general society would look at these people like they were comatose or stupid or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Those are just labels, not my labels. But I sat there and I, I see I seen this gifted, you know, and I was like really, I sat there and I'm going like, I can't believe I'm sitting here complaining in my head that I got to go to a dentist appointment and here are these young children that are smiling. They're smiling at me and they can't walk and they're in a wheelchair, you know, so this is that's what I mean about refocusing your thought so immediately I was like wow those messages and if you're if you're paying attention you know you'll see them more and more and that's what I mean about refocusing your thoughts so you just kind of gotta you know bring it back you know and, and you just get real with yourself you know it's not easy it's not this isn't an easy place to be you know but it's not a it's not a bad place to be you know Susan that was um I'd say that was really interesting. I, I, um, we only have like about 10 minutes. Really? I'm like, that went, that went pretty quick. Yeah, we only have like 10 minutes left. So, I mean, um, did you want to, you, you're going to end reading? Yeah, yeah. I would like to actually finish the story I started at the beginning of that. Is that all right? Okay, you know, I really, I really did want to play music though. I mean, I would have, you know, you know, I don't know, you know, I really, Anyhow, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, okay, well, the, the last thing I was going to ask you is, like, if you had if you had to say something to, to anyone, well, you know, what would that be? Wow. Um, I guess I would, I'd say be nice to each other. You know, be nice to each other. Um, plant flowers. Play with kids run in the park um oh you know what definitely let the summer sprinklers get you wet when you walk by you know how we <laughs> run by why do we do this we run by i mean it's just water see how foolish we get yeah let the sprinklers get you wet come on you know and you know study study read um start creating something anything created creating is so much fun it that brings me the most joy creating um, I don't know, know yourself because like, you know, in, in knowing you, you know, then you, you learn about others and, um, I don't know, in my experience, it makes deal, dealing with, you know, life a lot easier, you know? So, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's pretty much, I don't know, that's what I tell people, you know, it's, it's real simple, you know, just be nice to each other. Well, Susan, before we finish, um... I just want to tell you thank you so much because, you know, I really I really enjoyed this interview. And um, thank you for coming on my show. No, thank you for thank you for having me. I mean, this is really cool. I mean, I don't know anywhere where you can like just talk for an hour about anything. You know, this is, I, I'm really grateful. So thank you. No, you're welcome. And you're going to read one piece before we end? Yes. Okay, well, before you start, let me get a couple things in there. For everybody who's listening, go to www.susanmarie.info, right? I-N-F-O, right? That's your website. Uh, you can find her on Facebook. You go on myspace.com, think twice radio. And you can also go to uh, think twice radio and find Susan Marie. And... Um, 
so here she is reading what are you going to read? I'm going to read the last uh, part of that short story Jack that I started with I showered in Bobby's flat she never lived above her diner she felt that business was business she didn't want to bring that filth into her home yet here I was her apartment was fantastic. She always had good taste. I looked up and saw the Victorian-style shower head. It was made of brass, wide-brimmed like a sunflower. Large holes attempted to cleanse the street from my skin, right into the drain where it belonged. Come and get your tea before it gets cold, Bobby called out to me from the kitchen. I heard the kettle singing, but I did not answer right away. It felt good to be here with Bobby. It felt good to have my feet flat against the porcelain. The tiles made me feel safe. They started mid-wall and continued around the room, ending at the entrance. I remember when we worked on this bathroom, you know, maybe a, a year or so ago. Bobby insisted on searching every small shop and art store for different ceramic tiles. How young I was then, so hopeful, full of life, like spring. My hair, now almost reaching to my waist, was drenched from the shower. Like that day in the rain with the tiles, we ran from taxi to taxi. She looked beautiful that day. Her short auburn locks had lost its curl and hung limp around her face. Her makeup fading, mascara crying, dark angel tears. She was holding my hand. We ended up in a Salvation Army. That's where I found my tile, the cone flowers. I found it discarded among brown and gold coffee mugs on wooden stands, jelly jars with cartoon characters on them, and Father of the Year statues. There it lie, vibrant and glowing, a spray of cone flowers on white ceramic tile, Indian summer to be exact. It was stark and blazing against the bleak skyline of New York. Bobby stuck her head inside the crack of the bathroom door. Are you okay, hon? She said. Yes, Bobby, I'm fine, I replied. I just noticed the coneflowers on the wall, that's all. Smiling, she came into the room. She walked over to the tub and reached her hand inside the shower curtain. She laid her palm on that tile, my tile, the coneflowers, and sighed. You know, Tony, I wish I could hold this tile in my hand. The hot water fell upon my back, a gentle rain, as my fingers joined Bobby's on the smooth ceramic tile. This has always been my favorite piece because you chose it, she said. We stood there forever, it seemed, both of us remembering that day, one of many, so long ago. Bobby drew her hand away first, giving me a stare that said, I'm so sorry. I became lost, lost in the reverie of youth of Bobby, lost within her curls, her hazel eyes, that smile. She turned and began to walk away, then stopped. Tony, I think I can get that tile loose for us. Give me a minute, okay, hon? I nodded my head, not quite comprehending what she meant, yet agreeing. She handed me a towel, one of the large cotton ones that matched the tiles. I stepped out of the tub, slipping my feet into her white fluffy slippers. I started to dry myself and whispered, Bobby, what are you going to do with that tile? Smirking, she replied. You'll see, baby, you'll see. The kettle was screeching now, and Bobby hurried back to the kitchen. I heard her digging around in a drawer. Here she comes, I thought, her footsteps padding down the wooden hallway. She returned with a small hammer and a straight-blade screwdriver. Oh, Bobby, please, don't do that, really. It will ruin your bathroom, I pleaded, even though I wanted that tile as badly as she did. Don't worry, her voice close to tears. This needs to be done. I looked at that tile and knew it must come out. 
Gently, she places the flat end of the screwdriver against the tile and tap the very edge of the handle with the hammer. Please, God, just don't let it break, I thought. It didn't break. That is one good thing about Bobby. She knows how to take care of things. We both placed our hands beneath the tile. Loose grout fell onto the floor, past the lip of the clawfoot tub. It didn't take long before it came free. I left that room at my cone flower. It was who I used to be, who I longed to be again. It was all I had left. It belonged to me. It belonged to us, Bobby and I. Come now, let's go drink, she said. I have some whiskey that will go beautifully with our tea. I followed her into the parlor and sat down. She motioned with a wave of her hand for me to go into the living room. I sat down on the couch draped in her bath towel. Bobby, we need some tunes, I said. She came forward with a wooden tray. On it were two china teacups and saucers, a plate of chocolates, and the tile. Don't worry so much, Tony. I have it covered, she answered as she placed the tray on the table. She walked over to her Victrola, one of those upright models in a Queen Anne style. It had a patterned mahogany veneer. She put the 78 on the turntable, a couple of smooth cranks, and she got it working. She placed a fresh needle in the stylus and placed it in the groove of the record. She slowly lowered the lid. I sat back and closed my eyes. Lady Dave filled the room, scritch scratching her way into my bones. Bobby sat down beside me. She picked up the tile and put it in my palm. I placed my hand over hers. She moved closer to me when the ring of the phone startled us both. Bobby got up to answer it. Hello? Yes, she is. I am fine, hon. No, no, not a problem at all. Bobby shot me a worried look. Well, she said, she's right here if you need to speak to her. Bobby held the receiver out to me and she said, it's for you, Tony. It's Giselle.